Hey, this is Jason. I'm Jack. And welcome to episode four of The Devil Wears Pravda. But uh, Jack, happy President's Day to you. Oh, happy President's Day, Jason. Did uh, you have the day off of work? I didn't, know. I did, because I work for a bank. That's exciting. Love um, me them bank holidays. Yeah, I do not work for a bank. But um, I, will, I did want to touch on the fact that uh, today, uh, being President's Day, is also the 32nd day of Trump's presidency, um, which... You know, for us is a good thing because it means that our boy William Henry Harrison still has the record, still record, holder. still record holder for the shortest presidency, unless Trump gets impeached tonight. Which, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Things are falling apart. <laughs> Milo Yiannopoulos or whatever is falling to shit right now. Yeah, and... actually, it's funny. Okay, so all, after all that stuff happened at Berkeley last week or whatever, mm-hmm. two weeks ago, I was like genuinely fascinated by this guy. I was like, okay. How is he causing such controversy? I just I got I was curious, so I followed him on Facebook and I like start I watched some of his videos on YouTube. I read some articles about him. Um, it's he's a fascinating uh, provo- provocateur. 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 How do you pronounce that? Provocateur. Like, he loves starting shit. Oh, he, yeah. But it was interesting to me because he was really really excited about the CPAC thing. Like I saw on his Facebook page, he made like. 10,000 posts about it. He was he was stoked. And I can't imagine how bummed he is today to learn that he's not speaking there anymore because of this controversy that just happened with like the, Him the saying, pedophilia thing. Yeah, so he's like, okay with pedophilia. Right. Well, he released a public statement and like he kind of like he cleared some things up. Um, but I mean, still. It, you know, it's still, still a shaky situation. But I will say that. Be careful I, what you say in the past because it will come back to kill you. I have. <laughs> And this, what I'm about to say, might be one of those things, but I, I, Jason, just be very careful. <laughs> be very walk on eggshells here. I think that it is so fascinating that a guy who is considered like the alt right darling is a gay Jew who dates a black guy. Like it's fascinating. I mean, you would think that it, you know, those are completely opposite ends of the spectrum, but um, it's well, insane. I mean, if you look at his posts and read the comments from people. I mean, it's in, it's insane. The kind just because he supports Trump so much, it's it's really interesting. Well, the world is upside down, so yeah. But um, anyway, he is of Greek origin, which means he had to uh, immigrate to be into Britain. And I don't know what their process is, but I have a feeling Jack can tell us about the process for the United States. Yeah, um, that was a fantastic fucking segue was it because i was like oh man i i actually did the thing where i send it into pure energy and transcended to the stars for a minute while i said it so i don't remember what i said but if it works then it works it worked very well sally forth i think facts started when it all started it's always okay to punch a nazi you're telling me that i can use this phone for more than checking Facebook and Grinder on the go, fuck you and fuck Mars. Things are the best they've ever been. So the only way to go is down. Oh, I built a straw man argument. Here's the thing, though, this shit still stinks. So that's when that's when women's rights really mattered was back then. A podcast by the people, for the people, and of the people. <laughs> uh, sorry, man. I'm always like this all right, president so- would say. So if Jason didn't make it obvious, we're talking about immigration today. <laughs> that is our pro- uh, that is our topic uh, because we've been very much stuck on that executive order that went through and and how, like how much it got banhammered, right? And then yeah, and then how much like did that need to happen? Like what 
what are the processes? Like what the people coming over, especially with visas, how much did they have to go through before to to get that visa? And like, yeah, I mean, when you read some articles that you would think it's the same as just like hopping on a boat. Yep. It's like Ellis Island. You come in and you stamp a paper and you're good to go. But it's not. And I did the research to prove it. Let's hear it. So, hey, let's talk about them. All right. So we're going to start with numbers. There, the INA, which is the Immigration and Naturalization Act, that's one of the acronyms that's going to come up a lot here. There's a ton, right? There's, I mean, so, there's many so many freaking <laughs> acronyms. Um, so that's the body of law that governs current immigration policy. That provides for an annual worldwide limit of 675,000 permanent immigrants okay. to the U.S. And there are certain exceptions for close family members. Worldwide limit, be is that... Like total or per year? That's per year. Per year, okay. Annual limit. Keep up. (laughs) So there's a different number, however, when it comes to refugees. Okay. And then that's actually decided yearly. Okay. Um, So, for example, the number in 2016 was 85,000 refugees were admitted into the U.S. Which is up from the normal totals, right? Yeah, 2015 was even lower than that. The thing, too, also that I, I didn't write down, but I knew... Every year there's a ceiling set, so the set the ceiling was set at eighty five thousand. We may not have admitted all we may not have used all those seats, basically. Okay. Yeah. Um like earlier on, I think two thousand nine, two thousand eight, stuff like that, the ceiling was real high and we didn't even get close to reaching that ceiling. In two thousand like fifteen, fourteen, and thirteen, I think maybe it was fourteen whatever it was. But we hit the ceiling. Interesting. Like, because it was real low. So then they so that it's makes sense. Very much done by how many I feel like I came across that in my reading and it talked about like Obama raised it specifically for Syrian refugees from like 70,000 to 85,000 which is a ton anyway um, we're going to talk more about refugee stuff later Um, we're going to get to just natural immigration the typical type of immigration that people do here there's a couple of principles that are followed um, for why someone would immigrate Um, there's the reunification of families Admitting immigrants with skills that are valuable to the U.S. economy, protecting refugees, and promoting diversity. Okay. I forgot to write about promoting diversity, but basically it's – there's a set – I'm going to talk about it real quick because I don't have it written down <laughs> and I will forget. But basically there are some countries where the ref, there's just not people coming from. So the U.S. sets aside like a certain number of – We'll call it like seats in the boat or whatever sure. for people from those countries. And so they might get preferential As like incentive free treatment. for them to come yeah, over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, um, to kind of make the melting pot a little more tasty. Huh. I didn't know that. So one by one, let's look at the principles. Reunification of families is kind of exactly what it says. A U.S. citizen may file an immigrant visa for immediate relatives. And those are spouses of U.S. citizens, unmarried minors of U.S. citizens, and parents of U.S. citizens. So like real uh, and close then the citizen must be at least 21 years old to petition for a parent. So it's close family. Pa- parents and children. They have to be 21 to petition for a parent? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so there's a limited number of visas available every year under the family preference system. Um, so this is for... There's different things. There's very different stuff. And it was very complicated and whatever. Um, so I'm going to st- skip this other paragraph and just kind of go to this. Com- Congress established a complicated system, and it's <laughs> f- so complicated. 
Um, Why wouldn't it be if Congress had a hand right. in it? For calculating the available number of family preference visas for any given year. Oh, geez. Um, so the number... It, I'm going to do some math on you. Okay. The number is determined... I was told there'd be no math. Uh, well, fuck you. <laughs> uh, it's Congress. Of course there's math. The number is determined by starting with 480,000. Okay. Then you subtract the number of immediate relative visas issued during the previous year. Okay. And the number of aliens paroled into the U.S. during the previous year. Year. And then any unused employment preference immigration numbers from the preceding year are added to this sum to establish the number of visas that remain for allocation throughout the preference system. I know. I know. And it's not even done. Um, I'm having a panic attack right now. However, by law, the number of family-based visas allocated through the preference system may not be lower than 226,000. That's the, that's, the, that's the floor on the whole thing. Okay. Uh, but in reality, due to large numbers of immediate relatives, the actual number of preference system visas available each year has been 226,000. Um, consequently, the total number of family-based visas often exceeds 480,000. Um, so there's different categories. There was, a, there was a nice little list kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so the, the category for if you're an immediate relative and the sponsor is a U.S. citizen... Um, adult U.S. citizen, and the re- the immigrant status is the relation to the citizen is a spouse, an unmarried minor child, or a parent. There actually is no limit to how many of those are allowed into the U.S. Really, there's no limit. Um, so for like that direct chain of command, they're right. That's right. Interesting. Um, if you are, so say uh, you're my sponsor and I'm an immigrant. So if you're a U.S. citizen and I'm an unmarried adult child of yours. Okay. That's preference number one. And the U.S. allows about uh, 23,400 in. Now, is that if I'm... Now, me being a U.S. citizen, could I be an immigrant that has become a naturalized citizen? Yes. Okay. Um, it's, yes. it's not like someone natural born that wants to, you know, went to Mexico and got married and had a kid and then they want to come right. over or something. Okay. Um, I forgot to write down what LPR meant. I think it's legally protected resident. So if you're a legally protected resident, which is basically a green card holder. Okay. Um, and I'm either one of your, your spouse or a minor child that's in the second preference allocation. Um, so that's second preference. Okay. There's a kind of a list of like who gets looked at first. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, and then there's about 87,900 allocated for that. If you're a um, legally protected resident and I'm an unmarried adult child of yours. So if I'm over 21 and, but I'm still your child, that's. 2B. So that's like the second. Okay. That's still second preferential, but a little lower. Um, so they're that's numbered about, and lettered. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> there's about 26,300 oh, okay. uh, spaces for that. If you're a U.S. citizen and I'm a married adult child of yours, that's preference three. Um, and there's about 23,400. So, and these spaces numbers that you're that. giving me in the, the thousands, like 23,000, 26,000, that's for the whole country, right? Right, right, right. So yeah, I mean, when you hear that number and you're thinking twenty three thousand, like I guess relative to right. the how that's getting you know dissolved into the because I mean that broken down twenty three thousand divided by fifty states, right? I mean that's not a ton, you know. And then also if you think so, a lot of these like the first preference, the third preference, and the fourth press preference all are based on also if there's any unused visas from like the preferences like below that or whatever. So like. So the fourth preference is if you're a U.S. citizen and I'm like your brother. Okay. That's the last preference, and there's 65,000 spaces for those. But 
there may be more spaces if there's any unused visas from all the other family-based preferences. Gotcha. So, if so they kind of roll over in a right, sense. Right, right. There's kind of rollover minutes. Um, <laughs> roll, and th- roll over family members. So that's family. Interesting. Okay. So then there's employment-based immigration. Is uh, that... Let me guess. Is, if So family... I'm going to say that... Uh, are they broken up in separate tiers? Like, do they have their own amounts allotted for... Or is it like what you just said, that whole group is the first tier, number one priority, and then... Well, see, I'm not entirely sure. Because I'm trying to gauge if there's more allotted for employment or for family-based. Right. Um, But the thing is, no, uh, I think employment is pretty much, it's less allotment. Gotcha. Um, We'll get to that, though. That answers my question, basically. But, yeah. (laughs) Um, And then also, I'm not entirely sure if it's, like, like, you're... The thing is, to like, if your spouse is bringing over your child, that's still in that top category. That's not even a preference number. That's just like, yeah, that's we're gonna look at that kind yeah. of thing. Um, but I don't know if it's like, oh, you're a citizen and you're you're petitioning for me to come over, and I'm one of your adult children, but I've also got a spouse and a child. I don't know how that works exactly. Yeah, I wonder if that's that's but probably I a separate think, process. For I, each, think I think it's well, the sep that is a separate process for everyone, but I think those. Like my spouse and children would get that same preferential treatment because they don't, they try not to break up families too much. There's actually a part in here later. That's good. um, That if you're coming in, it's it's more in the refugee part, but I think it's also in the, because refugees don't have family here, there's no one petitioning for them. Right. But it's very much about trying to keep families together. Like if you're a refugee and you come over, they'll try to place you as close to, if you have another family member here already or whatever, Mm -hmm. they'll try to place you as close to them as possible. That makes sense. Or like if there's a big group of people from that country somewhere, they might try, like we have a big Bosnian population in the U.S. Yeah. uh, Or in St. Louis. Yeah, in South Um, City area. if If you're Bosnian refugee coming over, you might have more of a chance to be placed there because it's already a established thing but we'll get to that in a little bit um that's amazing so you can apply for temporary work visas um which which permits employers to hire and petition for foreign nationals for specific jobs for limited periods so someone can be like hey i want them to come over for this long for this job um so most temporary workers must work for the employer that petitioned for them and they have limited ability to change jobs so like they're here for that job once you're here, and again, it's, I didn't, I said it to you off mic, off mic, but one of the things I didn't really look into becoming a citizen after coming in, I know there's a five-year waiting period. From immigration from to citizenship? Im- from once you get here, you have to have a visa for five years before you can apply for uh, citizenship. Interesting. Uh, I didn't look into the whole process because I've already got six pages <laughs> and it's going to take a while to get through. <laughs> Um, so there's actually more than 20 types of visas for temporary non-immigrant workers. Um, there's visas for intra-company transfers. So if the company is worldwide, they may be, they can be like, oh, I like this guy that's working for me in whatever, India, uh, India. I want to bring them over here to work for me that they can apply for a visa for you. Interesting. Um, there's, uh, various uh, visas for athletes entertainers and skilled performers there's visas for religious workers uh visas for diplomatic employees for workers of extraordinary ability uh, <laughs> and then uh visas for highly skilled and lesser skilled employment so like there's just a bunch of different things. yeah 
Um, the visa classifications vary in terms of their eligibility requirements, duration, whether they permit workers to bring dependents, and other factors. Um, and then, in most cases, they must leave the United States if their status expires or their employment is terminated. Okay. Um, it's a very, like, there's a lot of stipulations to work visas. Yeah, I can't imagine the amount of paperwork. By it's the way, mind-boggling. By the way, if any of this sounds familiar, I literally copied and pasted a ton of this from travel.state.gov, which is kind of the website that helps immigrants through the process. That's there's like a flow chart. It's really an interesting website. Um, and if you want information, if you're like, uh, yeah, but what about the immigrants coming over and might might bomb us? Look at this website. Are you trying to get us sponsored by travel.gov? The government is not going to sponsor us. Well, you know, fingers <laughs> crossed. Um, you can also actually apply for permanent immigration based on work. Um, there's a numerical limit for permanent employment-based immigration, and that is 140,000 people per year. Um, and this number actually includes the immigrants that are that are coming over to work, plus their eligible spouses and married unmarried minor children. Um, so meaning the number of actual employment-based immigrants is less than $140,000 per year. Or 140,000 people per year. Okay. Like, so there's room for 140,000 immigrant work visas. But then you have that... I mean, there may be four or five visas per person coming over if they've and got And those get distributed dependence. out. Yeah. That covers all of those people. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, that's that breaks down to about 2,800 per state, which again... Kind of crazy. So there's different categories um, of, of of visas. So there's persons of extraordinary ability, which actually you laughed at, and I was like, and maybe think get of like the X Men. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. I'm um, hoping that's like athletes. So basically, it's persons of extraordinary ability in the arts, science, education, business, or athletics. Nice. Um, out there, so there are outstanding professors and researchers, multinational executives and managers, people that. So there's a limit of 40,000 people per year for that um, category. Category two is members of the professions holding advanced degrees or persons of exceptional abilities in the art, science, or business. That, again, 40,000 people per year. Um, and, again, this is kind of the thing, too. Like, some of them get to be like, oh, if there's not, if we're not taking all of the people from this preference category, we can apply that number to this category. So the floor is 40,000, but if like the category five, we only admit 5,000, 5,000 of that gets to go to number one or whatever. Interesting. The third preference category is skilled workers with at least two years of training or experience. Okay. Um, professionals with college degrees or other workers for unskilled labor, labor that is not temporary or seasonal. Okay. Um, so that's forty. That's again. That's forty thousand people per year, and but the other unskilled laborers are actually restricted to five thousand people per year. Okay, um, which makes sense. I yeah. mean, it, it it's not as in high demand. Yeah. We, it's easier to get unskilled we labor. Have, we have plenty here. of high school dropouts right. here. Um, there's certain the preference category to four is certain special immigrants, which includes religious workers, employees of U.S. Foreign Service posts, former U.S. government employees. And other classes of aliens. And that's 10,000 people per year. I think, I think, and I didn't look into it, but if you heard about the guy um, who was like a translator for the army over in Iraq or whatever. I remember reading something about it. I don't know if it was Iraq or Afghanistan or what. Sure. And he had a visa um, to come here and then they held him during that ban. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's where I read about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm he was like active I, that's military probably or wasn't he? almost definitely falls under that category because yeah. it's a former U.S. government employee. Gotcha. Yeah, because he worked for them. In, sure. In on, on the at the in the at the war. Yeah, it's kind of crazy at the war factory. Yeah. Um, and then the fifth preference category are persons who will invest five hundred thousand dollars uh, to a million dollars in job creating enterprises that employs at least ten full time U.S. workers. Yes. So that's. It's just, and there's only ten thousand people per year admitted on that, but that's just because I mean, there's not going to be that many people coming in that have the amount of money to invest that and to create that. That yeah, job. absolutely. But that's a great incentive to come over to build here in America. You know, like to build your company here. Sure. No, I mean, um, oh hey, you want to? That we have the infrastructure to support a new a new businesses and and. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to have come over here as on a visa. Come and do it. Yeah. Um, so then, in addition to the numerical limits placed upon the various immigration preferences, the INA also places a limit on how many immigrants can come to the United States from any one country. Um, so there's currently no group of permanent immigrants um, from a single country can exceed 7% of the total amount of people immigrating to the United States in a single fiscal year. Okay. You can't, yeah. So it's just, hey, seven percent of everyone. If seven, if eight percent of all immigrants of the year are coming from Syria, then that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um. So it's not a quota to ensure that certain nationalities make up seven percent of immigrants, but rather a limit that is set to prevent any immigrant group from dominating immigration patterns to the United States. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's keeping that. Sure. The the ingredients different in the melting pot. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Too many cooks spoiled soup. Right. Um, So now we're getting back to refugees real quick. Um, So there's three categories for classifying the refugees under the U.S. refugee program. Um, There's the first one is individuals with compelling persecution needs or those for whom no other durable solution exists. Okay. Okay. so these individuals are either referred to the United States by um, UNHCR um, or they're identified by a U.S. embassy as a non-government or a non-governmental organization. So they may, the, a, a U.S. embassy in whatever, I don't know, Pakistan might be like, eh, this group is being persecuted. Let them have refugee status, yeah. whatever it is. Priority two is groups of special concern to the United States. Um, they are selected by the Department of State with input from other organizations um, and non-governmental organizations as well. So governmental organizations and non-governmental organizations get to kind of have input for like who might be a special concern. Um, currently, groups include certain persons from the former Soviet Union, Cuba, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, Iraq, Iran, Burma, and Bhutan. And then priority three, oh, that may not be 100% anymore. Because this website was written and updated around 2016. So. Yes. Um, and then priority three, the relatives of refugees, um, parents, spouses, and unmarried children under 21 who are already settled in the United States may be admitted as refugees. Okay. Instead of having to go through the visa process, they may be resettled as refugees. Okay. That makes sense. Um, the U.S.-based relative must file an affidavit of relationship and must be processed by DHS. Um, Before. So I actually still bolded this. It accidentally came over bolded, but yeah. I bolded it. I kept it. Before admission to the United States, each refugee must undergo an extensive interviewing, screening, 
and security clearance process conducted by regional refugee coordinators and overseas resettlement support centers. To qualify, individuals generally must not already be firmly resettled in another country. Um, the INA requires most progressive refugees to prove their individual case of well-founded fear, regardless of the person's country, circumstance, or classification in a priority category. And refugees are subject to the grounds of exclusion listed in Section 212A of the INA, including health-related grounds, moral criminal grounds, and security grounds. Um, they may also be ex- ex- excluded executed executed immediately for, for God of, we're going back to last week um excluded uh for polyamory because mm. cool i thought the u.s is cool and open i thought that was allowed in utah though wasn't it well, under religious freedom i don't know <laughs> uh misrepresentation of facts on visa applications smuggling and previous deportations um waivers exist for certain grounds of exclusion uh, but it's a whole runaround too. It's like, oh, you got excluded. Oh, I got a waiver. Oh no, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know why you would feel the need to bold that. I'm sure everyone is aware of how stringent and difficult the immigration process is in our country. Yeah, especially for refugees. <laughs> um, so then, after a refugee has been conditionally accepted for resettlement, uh, the RSC sends a request to of a sh- for assurance of placement to the United States and the Refugee Processing Center works with uh, some private voluntary agencies to determine whether the refugee uh, where whether the refugee will live I meant where you have some will real live. dark thoughts today <laughs> no you would talk about it champ nope <laughs> uh, refugees resettled in the United States do not need to have a US sponsor like any immigrant needs to have a sponsor right refugees don't but if a refugee approved for a mission does have a relative living in the United States, every effort will be made to place the refugee near his or her relative. Seems fair. Um, and then once this assurance of placement has been secured and medical examinations and security checks have been completed, uh, RSCs work, which are the resettlement support centers, work together with the International Organization for Migration to schedule and arrange refugee travel to the United States. Um Something I actually interesting that I really learned was uh, before departing, refugees have to sign a promissory note to repay the United States for their travel costs. Really? The travel loan, it's interest-free. It's an interest-free loan. That's nice of them. um, That refugees begin to pay back six months after arriving in the country. Wow. Um, This page is upside down. And then upon receipt of the travel notification, the, um, what are they called? The privateary volunteer uh, volunteer agencies arrange for the reception of refugees at the airport and transportation to their housing at their final destination. Um, So once the refugees arrive, the VOLOG, which is the volunteer uh, resettlement agency, basically, is responsible for assuring that most services are provided during the refugees' first 90 days in the United States. So it's not just like, hey, welcome here. Fuck you. Fuck off. Right. Like, figure it out. Figure it out. Yeah. Um, they arrange for food, housing, clothing, employment, employment counseling, medical care, and other necessities. Um, and then one year after admission, a refugee may apply for lawful permanent resident status. Um and then if they are adjusted to LPR status, they may petition for naturalization five years after their arrival in the United States. So wait, you're saying they don't just get to come in here and immediately just be, be citizens? That's exactly what I'm saying. I don't know about that. 
Uh, and then refugees are expected to have a job within six months of arrival. Um, refugee men who have re- this is this was just something I added for no real reason. Refugee men who have recently arrived are employed at a higher rate than native-born, um, and refugee women are employed at about the same rate as native women. Interesting. So yeah, but sixty-seven percent um, of I wonder I wonder what could the refugee that. men. That's interesting. As opposed to sixty percent of native men are employed. Like yeah, yeah. that's bizarre. Um, so. Now that we've kind of run through the refugee stuff, yeah, let's go through entering the country as an immigrant. Tell me what it takes. Um, in one of the other categories, so either you have a you have a spouse here and you're coming to get coming to join them, or you're an underage child and you're coming to join your your father or mother or whatever. What do they have to go through? Well, it's real involved. <laughs> And we're already almost at a half an hour of this whole thing, <laughs> but I tried to condense. I tried to condense the process. Um, I didn't copy and paste as much on this one. I kind of tried to, kind of you know, make it. Didn't borrow from yeah. your neighbor as much on this part. So yeah, we have to. First, you submit a petition, which we kind of already talked about. Yes, but basically, um, someone who's already here must file it for you. Um, and it's either a close relative or employer looking to bring you here. Like close relatives is still like close relative. like even though it's like that that order of like people coming here it's still like even the lowest one is my a brother or sister like yeah. you can't file for like a niece or nephew okay yeah uh, yeah no, that unless sense. you're somehow they're i get maybe if they're, you're their legal guardian but i don't know that might be uh if he waters too sure um so and then after your petition is approved you have to check your priority date so the United States laws limit the number of immigrant visa numbers available each year in certain visa categories. We've already talked about that. That's my whole like chart thing. <laughs> um, if you don't have a priority date because you fall into a category where numbers aren't limited, which again is basically the the one thing, which is like if the person filing is a U.S. citizen and I and you are their spouse or like underage child, yes, and that's ba- or and that's basically it. Okay. That's basically it. Okay. Um, that's it. I think there might. I think there's one more, but we talked about it, and I'm not going back. Always um, forward. Always forward. Uh, uh parents, parents, yeah, parents. Yeah. Um, it's a trap. <laughs> so, if you're not limited, you will begin the national uh, national visa center processing. Um, you even if you are on that waiting, like the kind of falling into the priority dates so, so if you don't if you're not that you'll be given a priority date okay for like okay here's when we'll, we're gonna kind of like look at your stuff basically yeah we'll get to um it. so there's a whole thing just keep keep an eye out on your priority date if okay. you're coming over um then after that you'll begin your national visa center processing as part of that process you will need to formally choose an agent Ooh. uh they will receive communications from the NVC about your case. Okay. Uh, so you may access your own agent, or you may choose your petitioner, a family member, friend, attorney, immigration professional, or any other person you trust. They, the only real stipulation. It's real open ended. The only real stipulation is that you must formally like pick them. So. 
they, they, you must formally submit them. What do you mean, like send them a boutonniere, or like how do you? Well, <laughs> the, you just have to tell immigration services like this is my, this <laughs> okay. is who they are. Gotcha. It can't just be like, yeah, you may, you, you. What do you mean you didn't know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then, you have to pay two separate processing fees. I didn't look up how much they were, but they're not cheap. There's the immigration visa application processing fee and the affidavit of support fee. Did you get the fee for the test? No. There's a $600 fee just to take the test. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> um, none of which means you're actually going to get a visa. Right. No, but the test is like one of the last. Yeah. Like, but yeah, no, it's not cheap by any means. Um, I should have looked up the, how much it was, but I would have cl- had to actually click into like the site, and I don't know how far I would have had to go pretending to be an immigrant to see how much it actually cost. Don't worry, I got you, fam. Um, so the uh, one of the things too I went to, I noticed was in order to pay the fees, you'll need a bank routing number and a checking or saving account number from a United States bank. Don't know how you get that if you're not here. Uh. Unless I guess, sir, we need your social security number. No, you don't understand. That's what I'm trying to get, sir. You can't open an account without a social security number. No, ma'am, I need to get one, sir. I don't have to listen to this. Pretty much, yeah. I'm sure it's your. your, I'm sure they help you out with it somehow. Well, I'm sure it's the family member that's petitioning for you might have a bank account, or your agent, maybe. Yeah. Um. Even though, even then, it's just that circular, circular bullshit. Um. So then, after doing all of this, you're not even close to done. Um, you, you'll need to submit your visa application form and then collect and submit all the required documents to the National Visa Center. Um, this does not formally execute a visa application. It's not The visa application is not formally made until the applicant is interviewed by a U.S. consular office. Christ. So then, after you submit your visa application, um, there's a ton of documents you need to collect um uh there's so many documents and so I kind of listed them all individually. There's one that shows that your petitioner can financially support you in the US. Um petitioners are required to submit an affidavit of support form and evidence of their income. Um then there's a whole lot of circumstances where it's like what form do you fill out and why? And basically I got to this point it's like if I were immigrating I would just say fuck it and go home. <laughs> Um, but there's a lot of people who want to do this, so I'm just going to keep 30-year civil war is better than this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, after you collect your financial forms and supporting financial evidence, you and each family member immigrating with you to the United States should collect the civil documents that are required to support your visa application. Um, some of the documents you may need to have, depending on your circumstances, are adoption documents, birth certificates, court and prison records, marriage certificates, military records, police certificates... <sighs> There's more. I just didn't write them all down because there's a lot. There was one of like marriage, like basically divorce certificate, like a bunch of paperwork. Um, and then all of these documents, if they're not written in English or in the official language of the country to which you are applying for a visa, they have to be accompanied by certified translations, which means you have to go find a translator it has to be signed by the translator, and it has to state that the translation is accurate and the translator is competent to translate. Uh, yeah. And then <laughs> you'll send a photocopy of all required civil documents to the NVC, but then you also will have to bring the originals to your interview. 
if you get that far because oh there's still a fucking page and a half to go. Um, you'll want to submit all of your paperwork in one package, um, and your case may be significantly delayed if you fail to submit all of your documents together in one package or at the same time. Oh, my God. Um, depending on the prefix of your NVC case number, you may either have to send it by email, you may have to send it by a- snail mail, but if you're one of the lucky ones and you have one of the fun prefixes, you get to choose which of those options you Ooh, want. Yeah. Like, there's so many fucking prefixes, and I don't know why it goes where. I don't. It's just bureaucracy in, yeah. in action. Um, Good Lord. So then you'll want to allow up to eight weeks for the NVC to review your forms and documents. Um, and, yeah, once they receive both the financial documents from the petitioner and the applicant's civil documents. Um... So now, if you made it this far, you get an interview. The NVC will schedule an appointment one month in advance, typically. Okay. Typically, it's one month in advance. They'll tell you when it is. The U.S. Embassy or Consulate General tells the NVC what dates they're holding interviews, and the NVC fills the appo- these appointments in a first-come, first-served manner, basically. Okay. Um, after receiving notification that an interview has been scheduled, it's important that you and any family members applying to immigrate with you prepare for the visa interview. So here's how you prepare for the visa interview. Um, you need to schedule and complete a medical examination okay. with an authorized physician in the country where you are uh, will be interviewed. Okay, so at this point, you're, you've like you've got to be in the country for this not necessarily because Just travel over and well not necessarily because it's a u.s embassy it may be a u.s embassy in your country okay but you'll still might have to travel to it sure but you it could be performed at an embassy right it's okay. depending on where yeah on where the interview is being held because they can hold the in- interviews in the embassy okay that's yeah that makes more sense um so yeah, you'll have to get a medical examination by an, it's an authorized physician. The, the the people in charge have to be like, yes, this is on this doctor is on our list of approved people to give this examination. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Um, so they may not be near you. It's yeah. Step two is you'll have to register for a courier service, um, which is for returning applicant passports and visas to them after the interview. Um, each consular section also has unique entry and security requirements, including whether applicants can bring cell phones into the embassy or consulate. <laughs> so you want to read that <laughs> for sure. And then there's also gathering your documents. We talked about all those do- possible documents you may have to bring. Well, also, you've already made photocopies of and sent in. Make sure you have all of those. Don't forget them. You don't. Like, you'll have to resubmit, like, everything and reschedule your interview and redoctor and everything like that. Uh, it's so much. And probably also, I think the interview is where they ask you all like the questions or whatever. Cause I yeah, yeah. see And so you'll want to study for that also. Um, yeah, no, I mean, and basically that's, um, it, it's not so much like a multiple choice exam is it's, there's a hundred questions on this civics portion of the list. There's also a, a test for your English. I want to ask actually, is that for is that for a visa or is that for becoming a citizen? I believe it, this is the citizenship test. Okay, then maybe there's not a test for visa, but you'll probably still want to know some stuff. So yeah, you probably no, want to absolutely. study. Because um, I didn't even go into citizen. This is literally getting a visa so you can get into the country so you can live here and work here for a few years so maybe you can then apply later to for citizenship. Five years later. Yes. Um, so then finally you get to go to your interview. Um, on the scheduled date and time of your interview appointment, you'll go to the U.S. Embassy or Consulate. 
So they're basically it is going to be in your country of origin. Um, it's just you'll have to travel to the U.S. Embassy. Um, the officer will interview you. Um, and then if there's any accompanying family members or beneficiaries, they'll interview them as well. Um, and then determine whether or not you can receive an immigrant visa. And then as part of the interview process, an ink-free digital fingerprint scan will be taken. Have you ever had that done, by the way? No. What it's is that? It's so freaking cool. It's okay. basically just like, I don't even, it's just like a little pad. And you just place your fingers on it. And it just scans them. Just scans them. And then it shows up on the computer. It's basically just a scan of your fingerprints. That's nuts. It's like biometric stuff. Yeah, it's so interesting. I had to do that for my um, interview for the bank job, and I was like, "This is so cool! I want to <laughs> interview for I want to I want to apply for a bunch of different places." This is a 21st century in action, baby. Um, so then, you, your spouse, and any qualified unmarried children immigrating with you must participate in the interview. Um, all applicants required to participate will be named on the interview appointment that you receive, so you'll know who need, who needs to be there. Um, because sometimes maybe an a process happens slower for one of the people, so they may not. Have the interview that day, blah, blah, blah. It's just a whole bunch of dumb stuff. It sounds like the ultra DMV. Yes. Oh, my God. It's the, it, I mean, it's the NBC. Ugh. Um, if your spouse and or quali unqualified unmarried children will be immigrated at a later date and travel separately from you, they're not required to participate in your interview. Uh, they'll be scheduled for a separate interview appointment later. Um, and then the sponsor petitioner doesn't need to be there, does not need to attend the interview, which makes sense because they are in the U.S. and you may not be yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, at the end of your immigration visa interview, uh, the consular office will inform you whether your visa application is approved or denied. So if you're approved, you will be informed how and when your passport and visa will be returned to you because they'll have to take your passport and visa. They'll actually put your visa in, uh, like in your passport and then they'll return that to you. And then if you're denied, you'll be informed why um, and probably given some steps to take of like hey what's the next steps kind yeah. of thing can i try again right um so congrats if you weren't denied you have a visa now but then there's a whole process of getting over here ah oh, god it's just so complicated there's more um I, there's just like a long list of things that i don't have time for but one of the things that's just so weird to me was like when you're traveling here, you, know, you actually have to have your have your X-rays on you. I don't know what they're X-raying you for, but just make sure you, they're not you. They can't be in your luggage. They're in, they're on you. They have to be in your carrier. Um, your visa must be on a page in your passport. You need to move during your time. So visas are actually only valid for a few for a time period, typically six months. Okay. Um, I mean, is that the so? I mean, they can be longer though. Obviously, they can be longer. Well, I think it's the visa of, like, actually getting here. Like, the visa that lets you get on the plane to get here kind okay. of thing. Yeah, yeah. It just gives you, like, passage rights, basically. Right, right. Okay. Um, so, you'll need to get you'll need to get on the, the plane um, during that time your visa is valid. Um, you have to pay the immigration fee um, to the U.S. Citizenship, citizenship and Immigration Services. More money you have to pay. Yeah. Uh, and that has to be done before you immigrate to the United States, before you travel. Um, any children must have um, vaccinations done. Basically, any of the vaccinations that you have to have to go to school, you have to have done before you come to the U.S. Because they're going to probably go right to school. Yeah. Um, Hopefully. So, yeah. Almost done. Last <laughs> paragraph. 
Uh, when traveling to the United States, the primary applicant must either must enter before or at the same time as family members with visas. Okay, so there can't be a delay. Right. Right. Um, well, or there can be. It's just if you're the primary, you have to be there first. Oh, that if makes sense. If your wife is coming later, fine. Whatever. Whenever she gets here. I mean, they still have to get there within the time period on their visa. Okay. Um, so with your immigration, Im- with your immigrant visa um, and sealed packet, there's a whole, you have to have a sealed packet of just like basically a bunch of the information we talked about before. Yeah. <laughs> it's just sealed. Um, you'll travel to the U.S. to a U.S. port of entry, which is often an airport. Mm. Um, and request permission to enter the United States. Um, here's a fun fact. I just I just put this last for some reason. I don't know why. This is the last thing I want to mention. Okay. A visa does not guarantee entry into the United States. The Department of Homeland Security, U.S. Customs and Border Protection officials have authority to grant or deny admission. Don't huh. know why I decided to put that last. Interesting. Well... I don't know. I'm I'm thunderstruck once again. But. I am. It's, it's it feels like something. It feels like something I should have just learned today, but for some reason knew about before. Yeah. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thunk it? You know, Jack. I'd like to. Uh, let me ask you a couple questions here, real quick. Oh, am I going to become a citizen in the U.S. right now? Well, let's find out. Um, you you finished high school, correct? Yes. All right. Uh, went to college. Yeah. Graduated. Yeah, I've got a bachelor's degree in theater and a bachelor's degree in film. Let's see. Not surprising, but <laughs> would you consider yourself an educated individual? I think I'm becoming more and more educated every day. Excellent. Especially with this podcast. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. Um, that's just the kind of stuff that Travel.gov wants to hear if they're going to be a sponsor. Um, so I, I mentioned travel.state.gov. That, travel.state.gov. Um, I mentioned that there's a testing process, um, which is you, there was a bit of an uproar when there was talk about maybe adding a religious test as well. Right. Um, so there's there is the thing too the religious test. I don't know if he if he. I don't know to enough be, about it. No. I don't know to really right. say I one would, or the other because it's it's different. So you have to apply for the visa, and then you have to be here for a while. And then you have to apply for, for five years for citizenship. Yeah, and I don't know if that was if the religious test is if you're already here, then what the hell? I wouldn't think it would matter. Or are yeah. they going to add a religious test to the visa application process? That's what I'm wondering. Or I mean, I mean, plus you just broke down like twenty fucking different categories, so it, it could be added to just one. Right. Know, who right. knows? But um, so I mentioned that they have a, a test that they do for citizenship. Um, and it's a hundred questions pulled from American history, geography, civics, and they give me the civics one. I'm learning about, about that the last six. I'm going to give you. A, I'm going to give you a mix, a smattering. Um, okay. But so they don't ask them all 100. They give them 10 questions that are pulled randomly during the interview process. Okay. And they have to get six right. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to start here. So number one, how many amendments does the Constitution have? It's like 28. It's 27. God damn. All right. Hey, no, that's maybe not. Trump, you never know what Trump's going to do on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> that's fine. As of right now, we're going to put an X <laughs> for that one. Um, what is the economic system of the United States? Like, what's our economy? Like, like, like a capitalist economy? Yeah, yeah that's correct. That's like, what are you talking about? I'm Ron Burgundy? <laughs> okay. Um, number three. The House of Representatives has how many voting members? I put an X. I don't. I really don't know. Is it like four hundred and something? Four hundred thirty-five. I picked. A, I picked a lot of numeric ones just to be a dick. Um, uh, 
if both the president and the vice president can no longer serve, who becomes president? Um, the speaker. That's correct. All right. All right. We are two speaker for Speaker of the House. There we go. You're swinging two for four right now. Um, there are four amendments to the Constitution about who can vote. Describe one of them. Um, I want to say, let's see, the the Fourteenth Amendment. Uh, they're actually not, it's not the number, oh, just like oh. the description of one. Oh, women. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. Women can vote. Women. I think women should vote. Uh, all right. Name one right only for United States citizens. So not for visa, not immigrant, just for strictly for United States citizens. Uh, I don't know. Um, I feel like a lot of the law, like law and order ones probably apply to like a bunch of people of like, yeah, like right to due process. All that seems right, to apply yeah, to yeah. everyone. These are ones reserved specifically for United States citizens. The right to vote? Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll vote in a federal election. Right. So we'll give you that. All right. Uh, I think U.S. citizens should vote. <laughs> um, okay. Why did the colonists fight the British? <sighs> well, there's just a whole thing. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a, there's a multitude there's of There's so many things. Um, basically... Uh, for independence, but they wanted independence because they felt that they weren't being accurate. Like they were paying taxes and whatever to the crown, and but they weren't really reaping any benefits, and they didn't have any representation in the government of of the British government. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> there were thirteen original states. Name three. Virginia. Uh, New York. Okay. Rhode Island? Yeah, there you go. Um, now, um, this is, for some reason, this copy-paste came over as New York, but I'm going to give it to you. Um, okay. Don't, don't you dare let me, don't you dare deny me citizenship because of your goddamn typo. <laughs> don't you dare do that to me. Um, the Federalist Papers supported the passage of the U.S. Constitution. Name one of the writers. Oh, Alexander Hamilton. All righty. There's a whole song about it in Hamilton. It's called Nonstop. Have you Non-Stop. seen Hamilton yet, or have you just been listening just, to the soundtrack? Soundtrack. It's right. called Nonstop. It's a really fun song. Uh, John Jay, I think, was one of the also also one of the writers. What did you say? You got your bachelor's in? <laughs> um, <laughs> I learned all of my history <laughs> from two musicals. It's Hamilton and Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. Perfect. Please don't ask me anything outside of those two things. Okay. I will. We'll start working on our musical for William Henry Harrison. It's gonna be really short. Um, <laughs> it's gonna. We're gonna go to intermission. It'll never come back. Where's the coat? All right. Uh, who did the United States fight in World War II? Um, well, I mean, the Axis powers. But who were they? I mean, like Germany and and Italy and and uh, at times Russia, but sometimes also not Russia. I don't know. You're missing a big one here. Japan. There you go. Okay, and uh, I mean, you're already a citizen at this point, but I'm I'm just curious now. Yeah, I know because I was born here. Uh, name one U.S. territory. Guam. Yeah, yeah, Guam. It is. I don't know why I know that one. I just <laughs> <laughs> and I just um, love the name Guam. So so yeah, I mean, you got you know you went eight for eight for ten, which isn't bad. Um, but I mean, some of that stuff is you know pretty intense. Um, I thought, you know, just looking through it, like, you know, it's kind of interesting. I'm assuming the test questions are just 
chosen at random, but kind of like if you're really right. wanting to be a dick, you could be seriously like, just, just do the like, number ones. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of people looking at it like, Jesus, I didn't even know that. Um, but I just want like, to run. What's one? What's one for you that I was like? That was like, wait. What? I think it's the mainly the number ones, like that. You know, like I should know that there's I'm, like you. I'd have been like, there's four hundred something, but like four hundred thirty-five right. right on the nose. Um, and then the first one I asked you that the you the over, amendments. The amendments. I was literally yeah. only off by one. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, still, you know, right. if you're not first, you're last. So, um, so our current, uh, as of, uh, 2014, which was, uh, kind of last time this was updated, um, based off of, you know, polling and census stuff, uh, the U S immigrant population stood at about 13.3%, about 42 million. Um, and, uh, so, you know, out of the, um, you know, that seems like a pretty small percentage, but it seems like it could get muddled easily when you're talking about right. 7% of this and this and this are all allowed in, but right. it still comprises a relatively small, I mean, it's growing, but, um, so, uh, there are certain states that seem to be the ones that are drawn to the most, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I, an interesting statistic I found that, uh, and out of the estimated 11 million unauthorized immigrants residing in the United States in 2013, um, more than half were in four states, California, 28%, Texas, 13%, New York, 8%, and Florida, 5%. Um, but I also found that... Uh, 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 so unauthorized immigrants are people that just kind of came here, like, either through... It's like, oh, it's just vacation, and then they stayed, or, like, probably for Texas and California, people that kind of got over the border Yeah, and yeah, stayed. absolutely. Um, um, or if they stayed past a visa expiration or right. something like that. Um, I also found, uh, which was this was really interesting to me, there is uh, out of three quarters of unauthorized immigrants resided in 117 counties uh, with the largest unauthorized population in five counties, and one of them was Cook County, Illinois, which hmm. I thought was kind of interesting. Like, that seems pretty far, you know, into the right. mainland. Um, so uh, there's... You know all- Cook County is where Chicago is, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but still, I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, and then, um, there was a little bit of information I found regarding like apprehensions and deportations, which are separate entities. Um, there were 679,996 apprehensions in 2014 by, uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, which is the CBP. And then U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, which is what you'll be hearing about. Right, ICE. Yeah, currently. Ice, ice, ice baby. Uh-huh. We're gonna deport ya. Ice, ice, baby. Boom, boom, we're gonna deport ya. I quit. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> um... <laughs> uh, so, I found Jason's line. <laughs> I crossed well, I, it. We, we can't afford to get queen sued by Queen, but we definitely can't afford to get sued by Vanilla Ice either. And he probably doesn't have much. Look, I changed point. it up. Yeah, the little symbol. I hits. added the little, <laughs> and I also added lyrics. Oh, terrible! Um, it's a parody at this point. So, um, so there was we a, should do parody law sometime. Parody law? I don't know. I mean, yeah, there was just like a lawsuit not too long ago about the birthday. There's always ones about happy birthday and whether it's public domain or not. Well, it is now. Yeah, now it is. So we could shit. We could just do a whole podcast of just that song playing, and we can't be touched, not at all. <laughs> Which is my dream. Um, can't touch this. You can if I sing that song, though. I'm out of here. I'm gone. 
Well, you do it without me. That's the podcast, I guess. Bye. Uh, um, so there were uh, about 680,000 apprehensions in 2014. Um, and ICE and the CBP are the two agencies within the Department of Homeland Security responsible for identification and removable of inadmissible non-citizens. Uh, the Border Patrol reported 486,000 apprehensions, which was 72% in 2014. 72% of what? Of all apprehensions. Okay. Um, and that was a 16% increase from 420,000 in 2013. Um, a note, apprehensions are events, not individuals. In other words, the same individual can be apprehended more than once with each apprehension counted separately. Um, so, you know, it could just be the same family the same, group of guys. The same guy you know. getting getting apprehended 400. I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for you mentally bored of border officials. Um, uh, so, you know, there was... It's, it, it seems... It, I just want It just seems like there's a bunch of stuff in place. I, I mean, there's, you know... Like, it just seems like there's just a bunch of stuff already in place that I don't know if we need more. I mean, it's... You know, it's one of the, like, kind of how we touched on before when we talked about um, the executive orders and how those go about, that there are some that are done proactively and that there are some that are done reactively. And this one seems to be one that's claiming proactivity of being on the defense and being ready for any and all threats, which I think is interesting because you consider the last real threat that was identified, which led to an executive order and a ban during Obama administration, was reactive to an actual threat that was found of people that were currently in the country, which makes me wonder if you know those that go th- that are really dedicated to that kind of cause would be more likely to come into the country and stay here for this you know five years and achieve citizenship to be granted that kind of entry to where you know. If that's if that's more of something that's you know it's it's hard to say one way or another. I mean, but I get what you're saying. I mean, there's a lot a lot in place, and it seems like a lot of work to come over. You know, a lot of work, a lot of money, a lot of time. <laughs> like, there's so many documents that you have to s- submit that like I don't. It's just so we. I don't know. And it's interesting too because I mean, and you know, there's efforts now that you see of more people coming in to do. Uh, there's more work being done with ICE and stuff like that where you're actually seeing deportations take place. Um, so it's pretty multifaceted right now, but it was definitely something that Trump campaigned hard on. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, that sort of thing. Um, so ICE is something that you'll be hearing about in the news. And I mean, it's, you know, that's it's happening right now. It's completely within the legal power to happen. Right. Well, um, it, it, that was already established to happen. It was just kind of looked the other way sometimes. Sure. It was like, well... They're contributing still. It's I mean, not... I'm, yeah. I mean, these are numbers from Obama's administration. Right. There was obviously a lot of apprehensions and deportations done in that time frame. Right. It wasn't like Obama was just like, eh, whatever. Right. Pool right. party. But people didn't just like, <laughs> it was, it, I don't know, it just, I don't, whatever. It just seems, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, no, I mean. It's... It seems more sporadic now or like. Whereas, like, the deportation stuff before were like, okay, these people are actually, like, dangerous or not contributing or blah, blah, blah. But, like, a grandma who's just, like, never filled this stuff out but has been here her whole life or whatever and supports a family and, 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 and pays taxes and all of that. Like, really? Like, send her away? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's just one of just those. Just to make a point? It's like, just one of those things that's I think I like, yeah, I definitely understand the letter of the law, but I understand the empathetic viewpoint in that as well. But I do think that there's something to be said for adhering to the process to maintain some semblance of order. You know, I mean, it's there's uh, 
it's one of the situations where if you let compassion overtake you know routine and and the things that need to be done that's when loopholes can happen and where slip-ups occur you know i mean plus you know when you look at public health allotments and the way taxpayer money is spent i i definitely do tend to think that if you know that money should go towards either people who have done the process correctly and if you're here and you're benefiting from that in some capability in some way yeah, shape or form but also like if you look at the other side of the coin they're still paying uh like any sales tax that they buy yeah. they're, they're paying those into no. those taxes like they're paying taxes on um I mean, maybe they're paying. I doubt they. They probably can't pay income tax, but you know, there might. Right. They're pro- they're probably not getting paid as much since they aren't sure. allowed to get paid under the table. Like, there's a whole other side of it of like they are contributing to things that they can't even really partake in. Like, if they're paying sales tax for a state, and then wouldn't you think that that would be more incentive to do it though? I mean, to be able to reap those benefits from what you're being taxed. I mean, if for? you're not being paid enough to go pay the. Six hundred dollars. Yeah, no, I mean it's and, the, and it's cost. It costs a lot. Yeah, no, I mean I get that, but I, I mean it also because I think even to apply for the test, you have to have a visa, which means you have to reapply. For, like if you're just here past a visa stay. Yeah. Like, which by the way, like if someone's here past their visa stay, like we know they're here. Like they've already gone through the. Pro- it's not like it's it's not like they snuck over. Like it's we know they're here. We could go after them any time. Sure. That's that's people that are trackable. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that makes sense because um, it's I, like I mean, oh right, and it's we, but it's we also a the... huge taxpayer effort to go get those people and do that stuff as well. Right. Like, you then know. is that cost effective instead of just letting them live here and whatever? That seems like a whole six part series. It, of it podcasts. really is. <laughs> um, but no, I do think that it, it it raises interesting points, and um, I mean I. I think part of the thing that makes it, you know, the the best defense that you could offer in saying that this is a very stringent and arduous process mm-hmm. is that people adhe- you see people adhering to it. Right. And I think if you want to to try to validate the point of how a ban like this is unnecessary because our process is so vi- like so vigilant and and weeding people out and making sure that they do the right stuff, then we have to incentivize people doing the right thing, and that's adhering to the rules i guess you know it's yeah. it's it's kind of a double-edged sword because right. i totally get where you're coming from as far as being like you know i she's but, a 75 year old uh, abuelita who you know doesn't have a ton of money to pay for stuff and why are we kicking her out and sending her back to mexico i get that like that's shitty but at the end of the day you gotta you know if the law is truly blind and you can't differentiate between a 25 year old who's doing it and a 65 year old you know yeah, I I mean that's a whole thorny issue. Um, I my big my biggest issue, and I think yours too, with the with the ban or whatever, it was stopping people who had active visas, who had yes. active green cards. No, it was it was based on where they were coming. from. It was poorly executed, right? Without a doubt. Which is like they went through the process, and I mean, it, like it said in the, my last paragraph, like it, that's fine. Like, and I mean the revised totally version, legal. The, the revised version of the the travel ban that they're working on. Um, that that I've seen is actually a lot more reasonable. Like it's you know why not roll it out like that in the first place? You know, um, but no, I mean because it it doesn't it doesn't call for as much of the complete shutdown. But I mean if he wants to keep playing tennis with this and go back and forth with the courts, he can by all means. Right. I mean that's a circus. But um, speaking of courts, I wanted to touch on real quick a couple court cases. A, a couple court cases. Um, there wasn't a lot that I found. Uh, 
I mean, there's been a lot that impacted immigration law over the years, but I want to touch on two in particular. One of them, which is going on currently, uh, this one was in 2012, Arizona versus United States. Uh, and a basic overview was the governor signed into law SB 1070, which mm-hmm. was dubbed the Support Our Law Enforcement and Safe Neighborhoods Act. I remember this one. Yeah, and the act made it a state misdemeanor crime for an illegal immigrant to be in Arizona without carrying registration documents required by federal law. And it authorized state and local law enforcement of federal immigration laws and penalized those found to be knowingly sheltering, hiring, and transporting legal immigrants. So that's a large amount of power right. for the state, you well, know? That was basically the show me your papers law, right? Basically, yeah. Yeah, kind of like, you know. But they, it was what they kind of called it. Yeah. Um, so it immediately sparked constitutional concerns. There were lots of rallies. Um, you know, they were in Dallas. They were in Los Angeles, Chicago, Milwaukee. I mean, people were upset. Um, so it ended up going to court. Uh, and in 2010, um, Judge Susan R. Bolton of the District Court for the District of Arizona, uh, she blocked key portions of SB 1070, including requiring police to check the immigration status of those they arrest or whom they stop and suspect are in the country undocumented, would overwhelm the federal government's ability to respond and could mean legal immigrants are wrongly arrested. Uh, she wrote, federal resources will be taxed and diverted from federal enforcement priorities as a result of the increase in request for immigration status determination that will flow from Arizona. Um, so basically saying that too many funds would be allotted if they started policing, you know, from a state standpoint, that it would basically usurp a ton of power from right. their way to distribute that, um, it, which makes sense. You know, uh, governor promised to appeal it and he called it a temporary bump in the road. Um, so basically a bunch of states joined in supporting Arizona, Michigan, Florida, Alabama, Nebraska, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, South Dakota, Texas, and Virginia. Hold on. Yes, sir. How many fucking immigrants are even in Nebraska? Uh, you know, I was surprised to see that recently, like there's been a huge influx of immigration to like Nebraska, Wyoming, South Dakota. Yeah, but illegal immigrants. Like maybe, I don't know. Um, Nebraska, who knows? (sighs) Who knows, man? Don't go. Listen, if you are thinking about coming to the United States, ignore Nebraska. Um, that's that's my hard stance on this issue. Anything, this whole immigration process. My hardest stance is fuck Nebraska. That's that's what you're putting your foot down on. That's where I'm putting that's my really, foot. All right. That's where I'm putting my foot down. So Nebraska. It, Nebraska is my line in the sand. Sew it on a pillow, folks. Um. So, yeah, Nebraska was amongst them. Uh, they basically filed along, um, and then it basically ended up going through. Uh, 81 members of Congress joined into this as well. Like, they were uh, they were supporting Arizona pretty strong on this. They kind of wanted to, you know, put more attention on this. Um, so it ended up going to uh, appeals court, and from there, the uh, the. Court of Appeals found in his concurrence that uh, the Arizona statute before us became a symbol for those sympathetic to immigrants to the United States as a challenge and a chilling foretaste of what other states might attempt, basically saying that still too much power to the states, we're not going for it. So it went to the Supreme Court. And on June 25th, 2012, the court struck down three of the four provisions. Uh, the majority opinion was written by Justice Kennedy and was joined by Roberts, Justice Ginberg's, Breyer and Sotomayor. And then Scalia, Thomas, and Alito concurred in part and dissented in part. Um, well, I mean, if you are, were they like, oh, no, we just, we agree that this first and second thing should be, sh- but we don't agree that the third one, uh, whatever it is. Yeah, basically, it struck down a few provisions. Um, yeah. 
And like we we like the first provision, so we disagree with that. But we dislike the second provision. Cool. <laughs> like yeah, they they were basically trying to figure out if any of it could remain and right. and, and they still were like not. one yeah one provision, which was what um it was basically uh it 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 embraced the expansive view of the United States government's authority to regulate immigration and aliens, describing it as broad and undoubted. Um, it analyzed the four provisions, and it said basically that the federal government had occupied the field of alien registration, meaning that all state action, even complementary state regulation, is impermissible. So basically, no, you're not taking that power over. Um, it, it basically got broken down to saying that uh, the amount of issues that it would cause for all states to have individual immigration laws that the federal government had to enforce would be a nightmare. Uh yeah yeah so uh, like, it makes, it makes obviously. sense obviously um so uh the legacy of it was uh he said um this was Solicitor General of the United States Donald B Verrilli Jr. Um that's a great it is right also I wanna I wanna go back real quick yes if we have one like if our biggest fan is from Nebraska I apologize you know I was gonna say in all of my years touring with my band. The city that I remember that had the absolute, like, just every girl I saw was knockout, like, a 10, Lincoln, Nebraska. I was as blown away as you were, but, like, every girl we saw walking walking downtown there was just unreal. corn-fed girls, I'm telling man. you what, man. It was nuts. You know, never would have thought. So maybe Lincoln? I don't know. Um, so he said in a 2016 interview uh, that while it was a high-profile case in 2012, the consequences of it were not fully appreciated. Uh, in his view, the problem was not so much that the show me your papers provision of the law, but that the states are trying to supplant the federal government's role in setting immigration policy, and we can't have 50 different immigration policies. So, Well, we could. We could. But it'd be a clusterfuck. Um, so he said after the Supreme Court announced its decision, the decision helped to deter other states from establishing and enforcing its own immigration policies. And he concluded that the court's decision was a very consequential decision, which helped an incipient anti-immigrant movement stop dead in its tracks so uh it was it's kind of interesting and uh, again like if you think about those states that were like hell yeah i'm i'm all for this you know not ones that you'd expect right um and and the ongoing case that i'll touch on real quickly is jennings versus rodriguez um it's in the supreme court currently and basically uh it was a class action lawsuit and it was upholding an order requiring bond hearings for detainees locked up six months or longer while they fight their deportation cases, basically this Rodriguez guy was locked up for like three years without any kind of bond hearing or anything like that whatsoever. Um, <clears throat> and the ruling stands to benefit thousands of immigration detainees, uh, where an estimated 25% of immigrant detainees are held every year in the, um, across the Ninth Circuit. Uh, as Apparently it's a daily cost of $164 per detainee, or more than $2 billion a year for these people that are just kind of like waiting so this is in uh, it's ongoing currently. Um, so it's basically they go, they can't deport him because he hasn't had a trial yet, but they don't want him to be free. In exactly. The US. So um, as of February tenth, briefs are being filed, and the reply briefs are due tomorrow. So um, there's going to be by the time we record next, we'll know. Yeah, two twenty one seventeen. So we might know something by then. But um, so immigration law is uh, it's definitely federally enforced. And you can, there's help at the state level, but as you can see, there's limitation of powers as far as that's dispersed. Right. Um, so I kind of, I, I kind of wanted to wrap up if I, if I have Jack's permission to do so. No, you don't. With a little bit of a, a little bit of a soapbox thing. Um, 
I have one little point I want to make too, and it was just interesting to me whenever we were talking about oh we can't have fifty different like yeah Im- immigration like rules. I wonder how like if that were to play out, how that would work. Like if there's there were states that like no like that's money signs. Like let's lessen like if we lessen our immigrant like it, kind of the free market idea yeah of like but then it's. I don't the immigrants don't really get to choose where they live. Yeah. Is the thing they're kind of placed by. So it goes my whole theory kind of just went kaput in my own talking it well, out. Well, if it was displaced, but like you could do like a Westworld kind of thing where but, <laughs> but like yeah, it could be very interesting to see kind of like how a, a free market like immigration system would work of like if Missouri's like, "Oh, we're going to let every immigrant in like pretty easily because we just want their fucking money." And what do we have to blow up an arch? Fuck it. It's dumb. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. This is my new hill I'm dying on. The arch (laughs) is dumb. All right, so you've got fuck Nebraska and the arch is dumb. So now you've not only alienated all our fans in Nebraska, but also all of our St. Louis fans. (laughs) Ridiculous. No, if you live in St. Louis, you don't really care that much about the arch. That's true. That's a tourist destination. It's true. I've actually, I don't know that I've ever been up in the arch, and I don't know that I ever would go. Okay, what's your soapbox? So here's my soapbox. I have, um, and this is actually related to immigration as well, but I, oh, Jesus. I was so annoyed when I woke up today and I was reading about Dexter Fowler and this travel, like the thing with his wife and the travel ban. Are you you aware of this? So Dexter Fowler is the newest signee uh, for the Cardinals, uh, 82.5 million five-year contract. He was on the Cubs last year. Okay. Okay, so... Fowler's been, people are really excited about him being here because he's an energetic guy. He's upbeat. He's like really helped them around the clubhouse. Super friendly, engages with the fans and stuff like that. So not even on his Twitter, not like in a, in a you know, not like something he just sent out on his own. In an interview, he was asked about, you know, what has been going on with the travel ban. His wife is from Iran. And the statement that he made was, uh, it's huge, especially anytime you're not able to see family. It's unfortunate. That's what, that's all he said. That's a very measured response. The backlash that he got from Cardinals fans was ridiculous. Like it, it upset me so much. Like, and all he was commenting on was the fact that his wife is from Iran, and they were the couple was gonna him and his wife were gonna bring their new baby to go visit family in Iran, but aren't gonna travel right now because they're worried about being detained. In the same facet, his sister-in-law works in Qatar, and she's not able to travel back to the United States right now just because she's worried about being detained as well. So, um, and I mean, you know, just because is the, she is she a citizen? I believe they're she, both citizens, okay. from what I've gathered. And if I'm wrong, someone can fact check me on that. But as you said, just a very that's such a major just response. a very like calm, he's almost response. not even he's not even talking about the the intricacies of no. like the band he's just saying look right now it is affecting my family in this very specific way this very narrow he's genuinely affected my very by narrow it. point of view of how i am being affected by it yeah no, and this it's, backlash it's yeah like it was ridiculous so uh some guy even went so much as to say like hey you know you are owned by the cardinals and the mlb and you can't talk like that about stuff without like he's like basically you're owned by them and Fowler, so he took to Twitter and he said, for the record, and I know this is going to sound absolutely crazy, but athletes are humans and not property of the team they work for. And then he proceeded to do a ticket giveaway for the people that didn't give him a bunch of shit on Twitter. Um, so, I mean, you know, keeping his morals up. But but what bothers me the most is that, you know, I, 
I feel like I've always kind of tried to separate the artists from their art and same with athletes because at the end of the day they're people and they have entertainment value but what they do with their own personal lives shouldn't affect their art or their their athleticism or how you know it's it's right. you should be able to separate one but from like, the other and it bothers me so much when people say you're an athlete you're played you're paid to play ball not Shut talk up. politics. Yeah, don't talk about it. It's like, like the president was on the Celebrity Apprentice, but that's neither here nor there. You can't invalidate no, someone's it, opinion because of their job. Also, it's not even his opinion. It's literally a fact he is living right now. He just says it's making it very hard to travel. I want to travel to see my my wife's family, and we can't right now. Exactly. So I, I talked to the coworker about this today, and he said that his concern when he sees stuff like that isn't so much about what people have to say because they have the right to say whatever they want, but they should be aware of their platform, which I totally agree with. But at the same time, some people are just nuts, you know, or, or they have their but own what opinions. What was he supposed to say? I, I, what exactly. was he supposed to say? With posed a question specifically aimed at him about this stuff. Was that, I'm not going to answer that. That would have pissed off a bunch of other people. Yeah, no, I, I said, you know, people, they have to be aware of how they use their platform. But at the same time, I remember one time I saw a tweet from Harry Styles where he said, I dropped my phone on my face and it was retweeted like 9,000 times. What? Why is your? Why are you retweeting that Harry Styles dropped his phone on his face? Like I, I don't try to understand the generation. But. Also, one other soapbox thing I want to. I'm going to stand on a soapbox next year's. Um, but just the fact that when people are like you're blank, you don't get to have a say in this. Like no, like if you're a citizen of a country and you have a problem with what a con- your country is doing, you're allowed to speak out about it. Being a celebrity or whatever does not preclude you from doing that that means you have more of a platform to like say how you feel and every citizen should be informed that's why i fucking loved the idea of this podcast i'm like i want to be as informed as whatever like let's do some learning i want to be so informed yeah so that my opinions aren't just coming from a place of opinionation but from a place of actual facts and and not alternative facts. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes people will, you know, they'll get a, you know, you'll be watching an award show and someone will use it to give a speech that you don't care for. You, you have every right to turn the channel. You have right. every night to not pay I mean, attention. And you but do don't have, try to invalidate someone's right, opinion because of right. their job. Because at the same time, right. I don't know what you, you have being every, a sous chef at a restaurant, it, why yeah. is your opinion yeah. more worthwhile? You still have every right to even complain about them using that. Like, that's what free speech is. Like, you can say whatever, just, and you do have to be prepared for the kickback from that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but if you say... But, like, you don't... You're, you're thought policing if you're saying you're this, you can't have an opinion on this. Yeah, if, if your argument against someone stating an opinion that you don't like from a higher public like forum than yours is, is that you're a blank, you shouldn't say this, your argument is bad, and you should feel bad. Now, on that same venue of having a large platform and not always being aware of how do you use it, I would like to finish with one last sports thing, which is that recently, uh, either this weekend at some point, Kyrie Irving publicly proclaimed that the earth is flat. <clears throat> it's not. 